0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to A Turn on the Jets' digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter... At Play Like a Jet One. And I'm joined by a very special guest to talk about the new addition to the New York Jets front office from the Baltimore Ravens front office. That, of course, is Chad Alexander, who spent 20 years with the Ravens, most recently as assistant director of pro personnel. That is Chad Alexander. And while I have him here, I'm going to ask him a little bit about Phil Savage's time with the Baltimore Ravens because Phil Savage comes in as well. We're going to get into what he did with the Cleveland Browns later on with the writer from the Orange and Brown Report, Jared Muller. But right now, we're going to talk about what he did with the Baltimore Ravens, and with a little bit of bonus content in there, we'll talk about C.J. Mosley, since he was most recently, of course, with the Baltimore Ravens, a multiple-time Pro Bowler, although I do think that there is some criticism that we are going to hear from our guests. That, of course, is Michael Telford from the NZI Podcast and Russell Street Report. What's going on, Michael? Michael.
1: Oh, not much, man. Just driving home from work. How you doing?
0: Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I'll say this. I'm doing a lot better than I was a couple of months ago when it looked like the Jets were going to be stuck with Mike McKagan and Adam Gase as the combination going forward. Adam Gase is still here so fingers crossed that he learned from the mistakes that he made in Miami but now the entire front office is being remade in the image of the new general manager Joe Douglas who was with the Ravens for 15 years and one of the guys that he knew very well from his time there was Chad Alexander who decided to leave the Ravens and come over to the Jets with Joe Douglas in a capacity higher than the one that he was with with the Ravens. Of course with the Ravens he was assistant director of pro personnel so let's talk about him first and then we'll move on to savage talk to me a little bit about what you know about chad alexander his rise through the ranks all the way up to assistant director pro personnel
1: so i mean chad is very well respected uh in the ravens front office i mean he started as a pro personnel assistant um which is essentially like a junior scout uh as i understand it and then i mean he didn't become a scout He, he was there since 1999 um, he didn't become a scout until 2003, and he started uh, as a scout in the West. Uh, they moved him to the Midwest uh, right around 2005, 2006, uh, and then he went to the Southeast. So it was like 2009, 2010, uh, he got the big jump, and he was promoted to the uh, the AD of, of pro personnel. So he was one of those guys that kind of started at the bottom, and he got the chance to learn from guys in the scouting department and he got the chance to learn from, I mean, one of the best to ever do it in Ozzie Newsom. Um, you know, he kind of had a hand in uh, drafting some of the greatest players uh, that the Ravens have ever seen and that the NFL has ever seen. I mean, you know, he, he played a part uh, in drafting Ed Reed. He played a part in drafting guys like Terrell Suggs and Helody, not. Um, so he, what you're getting is somebody who has, Ahead head for football. He's one of the last veteran really good scouts that the Ravens have, which is, I mean, it's saddening for me, um, you know, because I, I think one good scout is worth, I don't know, 100 junior scouts. So let's face facts. The Jets have had a lot of hits and misses when it comes to drafting. Um, you know, they've, they've gotten better recently as far as, you know, who they drafted. You got your Jamal Adams, your Quentin Williams, things like that. Um, well, we assume Q is going to be good. Um, but now you're going to have a guy that can point at a guy and say, draft him, don't draft him, draft him. Here's why, here's why not. Uh, he, he can look past the personality of a player and tell you what you're going to get on the football field, which, like I said, before we started recording, like if you're a Jets fan, that's the most important thing. You don't care about the personality. You want to know, is this guy going to help me win football games? Or are we just going to be, you know, one of the three laughing stocks in the AFC East forever? So it's really important that, uh, you know, Douglas hired him. They, in, I mean, obviously instantly have a connection. They were together for, for so long. And they obviously uh, have a good working relationship. That's why Douglas know one of them. But I think outside of that, their friendship is is actually really important. It's going to be one of those things where uh, when they're not working, they're able to have a good time and, you know, casually talk about the team. And I think that's important for for, uh, relationships and for chemistry uh, in the front office.
0: So what do you know about the relationship that they had when they were together with the Ravens? Were they known to be close? Yes, so they were close then, and it
1: wasn't just a working relationship. I mean, you know, even when they weren't working, they'd have their, their heads together and smiling and laughing and, and having a good time. So um, it, it was close with the Ravens, and I think equally is close, if not closer, with the uh, the Jets because they're going to be working in such close proximity uh, as far as scouting and on draft day especially because Chad was... I mean, he represented the Ravens on draft day for a long time. So I think that's important for your front office to have, uh, especially, again, with some of the mishaps they've had on draft day.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You mentioned Chad Alexander having a hand in drafting some of the best Ravens that there's been over the last 20 years since he's been there. Have you heard any stories about him specifically pounding the table for any particular players?
1: Not really pounding the table because he's not necessarily, from what I know, that kind of guy. Uh, He's more of a here's my advice, take it or leave it kind of guy. Um, You know, if you want to talk about pounding the table for players, you're talking about the new GM, Eric DaCosta. You're talking about like, you know, Harbaugh had that veto power for a while. You you guys like that, they're really pounding the table. Um, so I couldn't really pick out a specific player that he was like, Hey, that's the one like draft him or I'm going to flip a table or whatever. Uh, cause his personality just doesn't really lend itself to that type of display of emotion when it comes to him. He's very analytical and very calm.
0: You mentioned analytical. Does that mean he's a believer in analytics?
1: I would say he's probably a believer in analytics. Uh, but I also think he just has a very logical mind. Um, so It's a tough question to answer because we all know that Ozzie Newsome was a great football player and a great GM, but he wasn't a big analytics guy. Now, that's not to say that the scouting department wasn't like that, but, you know, they couldn't use it as much as some of them would probably have liked to because that just wasn't, you know, the Ravens drafting. It's not the way that they drafted. I mean, Eric DaCosta is clearly a lot different um, because he's already started to use analytics, uh, as far as draft day goes. But I think he has a firm grasp on how analytics work and to what extent they are worth paying attention to uh, in the evaluation of the player.
0: What can you tell me about overall philosophy of Chad Alexander <laughs> and the Ravens front office in general? Because obviously that's an apparatus that he was a part of for a really long time. Does he have any specific preferences in terms of how to build the team, any positions that he pays particular attention to?
1: Secondary. Anybody you get from the Ravens is going to be focused on the secondary. They're going to be focused on the defensive line, basically the defense as a whole. Um, And then the mentality is always going to be right player, right price, whether that is a contract in free agency or whether it's, you know, if they're going to reach for a player or not. It's the right player, right price mentality. Um, you know, you're going to get a guy that's really careful about where he wants to draft people and when people should be drafted and you know, how much, what's this guy's average value going to be after his rookie contract and things like that. Um, that's always been the Ravens way, maybe not the last two years, the last two years, they really have done a lot of, uh, a lot of need drafting. You can tell just by that, the different ways they've drafted the past couple years. Um, But beyond that, I mean, it's always been a best player available mentality and always a, uh, you know, he's going to be looking for players that are real athletic uh, and don't necessarily fit uh, your idea of what a player should look like at a position. So you're going to look at athletic linebackers, uh, you know, more athletic than C.J. Mosley, you know, like a, a Kenny Young or a uh, Tyus Bowser, just a pull from the Ravens draft picks. So you're going to see a guy, and he might be a little bit undersized, uh, but, you know, he might turn out like a Terrell Subs, which would be phenomenal. Um, you know, I might be a guy that uh, he can't rush the passer, but he can cover second to none. So you're going to be looking at kind of off-the-beaten-path draft picks, guys that, you know, in the third round they're taken, and you're just kind of like, well, who the f- is that guy? Uh, And then when you go to watch the tape and you kind of look at him and you're like, oh, okay, I can see why they thought he was a good pick.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We know that he has a strong relationship with Joe Douglas, but what can you tell me about the dynamics of that front office, how he worked with people like Ozzie Newsome and Eric DaCosta, and even relationships he's had with previous coaches like Brian Billick and current coaches like John Harbaugh?
1: I've never heard a bad word about Chad Alexander. I mean, it's really that simple. Uh, you know, when you go through as many offensive coordinators as the Ravens have gone through over the past six years, and, I mean, obviously the coaching has been uh, it has been rock solid with John Harbaugh being here for so long, since 2008. And, uh, you know, with Ozzie Newsome being a placeholder and Eric DaCosta, you know, turning down GM jobs all over the place because he knew he was going to be the GM of the Ravens one day. So... Uh, I mean, he obviously got along great with those guys uh, because, you know, he moved up the ranks. Uh, the guys before Harbaugh, uh, you know, never a bad word. It's been 15 years that I've been able to kind of follow those trends. And I've never heard a bad word about Chad Alexander. Everything I've heard about the guy has been positive. It's, it's you know, if he was a draft pick, his stock would have risen.
0: He'd have been a top five pick. I don't know about top five. Top seven, probably. Top seven sounds pretty good to me. I'll tell you one guy that I would like to hear from you should be a top seven pick, although I'm not so sure it's what you're going to say. That, of course, is Phil Savage. We're going to talk about his days as general manager in Cleveland on a separate podcast, but I want to get a little bit of a feel for what he did. In Baltimore, one thing that I thought was very interesting, Michael, is the fact that most people didn't survive the move from Cleveland to Baltimore, but Phil Savage did. He came over with Art Modell. What was behind that decision to bring Phil Savage into the organization in Baltimore from Cleveland? Was there some sort of special relationship between him and Art Modell that transcended all the other guys that were let go?
1: I mean, I think it's it's part of that. He began with the Browns as an intern, like back in '91, uh, and then like Savage uh, Belichick. If I remember this correctly, okay, Belichick hired him, uh, and he hired him as a coach. And then it was like '94, '95 that uh, he went over to scouting. So I mean, he I mean he worked with Saban and Pat Hill and Bates, Pat Bates or Jim Bates. Sorry. Um, so you got to think that this guy had connections with the the college world, which is huge when you're uh, a team that doesn't have a name or colors or anything like that. That's going to have to start drafting um, and start kind of drafting out of nowhere. So those relationships, I think, were more important than the relationship with Art Modell. And then you know when he was with the Ravens, he just kind of worked his way up. You know, he, he was a scout when he started. Uh, and a personnel evaluator with the Browns, um, and he just kind of—I want to say he more like tagged along rather than was dragged along by Art modell. So, and it, it was a good—it was a good thing. So, I mean, Savage was. So, this is the list for Savage, and I, you know, I brushed up on him earlier because I haven't talked about Savage in a long time. But this is the list, okay? He played a role in drafting guys like Jonathan Ogden. Ray Lewis, Jermaine Lewis, Peter Boulware, Chris McAllister, Jamie, uh, Jamal Lewis, Adelius Thomas, Todd Heap, Ed Reed, and Terrell Subs. Like, that's a guy that knows knows players. So, uh, you know, obviously shortly after that, he went back to the Browns, but that's neither here nor there.
0: Well, as you mentioned, he started out as a scout and moved his way up, and somebody that knows players would be the perfect person to have as director of college scouting or Director of Player Personnel, and those were two posts that Savage held with the Ravens before going back to the Browns. Most of that was the Director of College Scouting. Do you have any idea exactly how much he had to do with the drafting of the players that you just mentioned?
1: Uh, He had a serious amount to do with it. Uh, I mean, he was the guy that did the final evaluations on them. He was the guy that kind of put the bug in the ear of Ozzie Newsome, and, I mean, even Chad Alexander, to a point, So uh, I don't want to say he was the entire reason because, let's face it, Ozzie Newsome was the, you know, the end-all, be-all. But he played a big part in why these guys, and some of them, I mean, were not, you know, like there were people that said Ed Reed was a pick with no pizzazz, and look how that turned out. First ballot Hall of Famer and probably the best safety to ever play the game. And this was a guy that not, not many people were high on at the time. But, I mean, Savage kind of just picked him out and was like, that's the guy that you want.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. He obviously has a pre-existing relationship both with Chad Alexander and Joe Douglas because the three of them worked together for several years in Baltimore. What can you tell me about what the relationships between those guys were in the front office During that time, because obviously there was a dynamic, not just with them, but with Ozzie Newsome and all the other guys that were there, Eric DaCosta. We talked about the dynamic that existed with Alexander. What can you tell me about the dynamic that existed with Savage and not only with Savage, but also in relation to the Savage, Alexander, Douglas trio that will now be reunited with the Jets?
1: So I think you're good when it comes to personality between the three. Um, but I will say that Savage is the one you want to watch out for when it comes to personality conflicts, okay? Uh, and it's not necessarily because of anything he did with Baltimore. Um, you know, he, he wasn't the most well-liked guy in Baltimore, but he wasn't the guy that people, like, were giving the finger to and wanted him out. Um, granted, he did get, you know, let go, and they moved on from him. Uh, but it was later on, Where, you know, he had some issues when he was doing color commentary in, uh, what, 2009, 2010, something like that. Uh, He also had some issues when he was with the Browns. Uh, He had issues with Collins. I mean, Collins ended up just giving in and being like, all right, I'm done, and he quit. But if he feels like he's getting pushed around and not getting his way at all, then Savage turns a little whiny. Uh, I don't want to say diva-like. You're not getting, you know, Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown type of personality. Uh, But unlike, you know, unlike the players, personality does matter when it's the front office. And Phil has been moved around enough to where you need to start looking at his personality and going, maybe there's something about this guy that, you know, puts people off. And I think there is. Uh, He just kind of has one of those, uh, one of those personalities that uh, it can grind on some people. Now, like I said, I don't think you're gonna have an issue with Douglas, Alexander and Savage. I think it you know, it might come. If it does come, it's gonna be with somebody besides those other two.
0: But when he was in Baltimore, he had a reputation for being hard to work with in addition to obviously having an eye for talent. Right. But did he work well with the other members of the front office despite this reputation?
1: Yeah, I mean they they found ways to work it out. You gotta think he was there for a long time. So obviously, you know, they found ways to work it out and kinda get past it, so I wouldn't say it's something to be fearful of, uh, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on if he's with the Jets for any length of time because it always seems to manifest itself after he's been there for a little while. It's not
0: something right off the bat. Did he have any issues with Brian Billick? Because Brian Billick's somebody with a strong personality, so if Phil Savage is somebody that has issues when he doesn't get his way and Brian Billick is somebody that has a strong personality... I would imagine there could have been some clashes of personality between the two of them. There could
1: have been. I honestly can't answer that definitively. Um, yeah, I love Billick. I, I know a lot of people You know, were down on Billick, especially when he got let go and everything like that. I love Billick. I think he's a hell of a guy. Um, so uh, there definitely could have been. I wouldn't rule it out. But I also won't say, oh, yeah, he absolutely didn't work well with him because
0: I, I just plain out don't know on that one. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Michael, let's talk a little bit now after we got through the front office about a player that came over from the Ravens and now joins the Jets. And that, of course, is Mr. C.J. Mosley, a multiple-time Pro Bowler, one of the best inside linebackers in the game, signs a huge contract to leave the Ravens and come over to the Jets. And so now he gets reunited with Joe Douglas, who was one of the people pounding the table for him, reportedly, to get him to the Ravens via the draft. Talk to me a little bit about what you remember about the relationship between Joe Douglas and C.J. Mosley, or if you remember hearing about Joe Douglas being very high on C.J. Mosley at the time he was drafted, and even afterwards. I
1: think everybody was high on C.J. Mosley when he was drafted. Uh, you know, he's just one of those guys that you could tell could play football at a high level. Um, you know, they've always worked well together. Uh, there were a bunch of guys that I think CJ was kind of—he was high on the draft board, if I remember—and uh, it was almost unanimous as far as people uh, wanting to draft him. And they just kind of—he kind of fell into their laps. Uh, I don't recall CJ being overdrafted at all, regardless of what he's done since then. Um as far as I know, he and Douglas have a perfectly good relationship. And that's probably, uh, you know, something that will keep C.J. in New York for a long time.
0: Tell me a little bit about what the Jets are getting as a player and as a leader out of C.J. Mosley. Because he has a strong reputation in both regards. What should Jets fans expect out of him?
1: You should expect to draft a linebacker that I can cover next year. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: so... C.J. is a hell of a player, okay? He is, as I like to put it, C.J. is good, not great. Ravens fans always gave me hell. They said that I hated C.J. mostly because I would always point out his inability to cover uh, and things like that, Uh, and then, you know, throw raw stats at me. And if you look at his raw stats in a vacuum, they look great. You know, he's been in the Pro Bowl four out of five years. Blah, blah, blah. Personally, I think the Pro Bowl is a little bit overrated. Uh, You know, just kind of a popularity contest at this point. Um but you're going to get a hell of a one-stopper uh, and a guy that struggles in coverage a little bit. Now he's going to be able to play, uh, call the plays, which is awesome. Uh, I don't know if you catch any Ravens games, but when we played the Bengals the first time, he went down with an injury. Um, and for the first half, man, the defense was in shambles because they had a, uh, you know, a guy that started out as an undrafted free agent calling the plays. Um, so the, the defense was in shambles until Eric Weddle got the uh, the magic green dot and started calling the plays. Um, so you're getting a guy that can call the plays. He's definitely a leader. The guys like him. Uh, a little bit immature for my taste uh, as far as off the field. Nothing real serious. Uh, he just enjoys the clubs and, and girls and, and drinking. But you're going to get a guy that will 9 out of, time, nine out of 10 times, he's going to stuff the run. And, uh, you know, 8 out of 10 times, he's not going to be able to cover the tight
0: end. Can you explain a little bit more, Michael, about his inability to cover because Joe Blewett, who does our film breakdowns at TurnOnTheJets.com, dot com, and if you haven't checked out his CJ Mosley film review, you can go over there right now to our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV. He did a hundred play breakdown of CJ Mosley, and he emphatically believes that CJ Mosley is a much better coverage linebacker than most people give him credit for. Can you tell me why Joe's wrong?
1: Well, like I said, he's he's good, not great. Uh so Let's focus on the Carolina Panthers game. okay? So CJ. Mosley led the team in tackles. Uh, the Ravens lost that game. CJ. Mosley had, I think, 16 tackles, all right? And nine of those tackles were after trunk plays. Nine of those trunk plays, six of them were his uh, coverage, or his assignment. So uh, while I believe there are probably a hundred plays that CJ. Mosley covered fairly well. I also believe that for every 100 plays, there's 150 where he didn't. So it's just inconsistency for me. So he was touted as a very good coverage linebacker um, coming out. And honestly, his best years were when he had Daryl Smith or Zach Orr next to him. Now, for the uninitiated, Daryl Smith was a coverage linebacker. Zach Orr was a coverage linebacker. So that allowed C.J. Mosley to focus on stopping the run, which is what he excels at. While the coverage linebackers went and, you know, covered. So for $17 million a year, you're not getting a $17 million a year linebacker. You're getting a month. You're not getting a will. Uh, and while he has the ability to cover to a point, he cannot go long enough and he's not fast enough. Uh, he doesn't have to range, I guess would be the best word, to cover, you know, the faster, more athletic tight ends of today's NFL. And he doesn't have the the range or the the speed to cover Le'Veon Bell, for example. Le'Veon Bell bowled him over more than once. Le'Veon Bell uh, crushed him in coverage more than once. Um, I mean, I'd have to take a look at the the film study that he did, but I've always been that guy that's been like, man, I like CJ, but can we not have him cover people? Because it's terrible. It's just a horrible decision nine times out
0: of ten. I think that the disconnect between Joe and you probably boils down to the fact that Joe's not saying that he's a shut-down coverage linebacker that's going to be able to run with the best tight ends in the league or the best running backs in the league, because I would argue that there's pretty much no linebackers that are going to be able to cover Le'Veon Bell one-on-one. I think the contention is that a lot of people say that C.J. Mosley's bad in coverage, But what he does is keep you in front of him and make the tackle, which, again, doesn't necessarily make him a blanket cover guy, but for a linebacker, makes him pretty good at coverage because he's more or less limiting the damage most times, right?
1: So I'll give you that. He's a great tackler. Absolutely. The problem is that a lot of those tackles are going to end up being chunk plays. And if they're chunk plays, you know, if it's a six yard gain on third and four, that's a problem.
0: I don't think anybody would argue that he's a $17 million a year linebacker. I think the argument comes down to would you rather overpay C.J. Mosley a couple million or would you rather give $14 million to somebody like Quan Alexander faced with that choice I'm going to pay C.J. Mosley every single day of the week. Last thing I want to ask you about, Michael, is about Jimmy Smith. That's a guy who apparently Joe Douglas was very high on when he was with the Ravens. I believe he only has one year left on his deal. He's getting older. The Jets have a pretty big need at corner. You think there's any possibility that a deal could get done there? Maybe the Ravens are looking to rebuild a little bit. Maybe they would ship Jimmy Smith out for a draft pick?
1: I will light the castle on fire. (laughs) Jimmy smith is my guy man that's my boy i've stood behind him through every single injury his suspensions absolutely everything absolutely love jimmy smith and my own personal bias aside uh i don't think there's any chance that deal gets done and here's why because the ravens have stood behind him as well uh you know the ravens have extended him and they have worked with him through his suspensions and they you know they they've given him uh, you know the space he needs to to kind of work on his his family and himself, and they've continued to to not cut him. I mean, he was a perfect cut candidate this year with his cap hit, uh, and his age and his injuries and everything, and they kept him on. Um, you know, they're obviously preparing for life after Jimmy Smith with the drafting of of Even Marshall, but no, I don't think there's any chance a deal gets done. I mean, we. Technically, like if you look at it, and you know, Jimmy Smith is one of the better corners in this league when he's healthy. Um, so you're looking at Marlon Humphrey and Jimmy Smith as the starting outside corners. Like, who's going to trade that away, especially when there's only one year left on his contract?
0: It's going to be interesting because, as noted, Joe Douglas apparently a big fan of Jimmy Smith. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I don't envision the Jets doing anything between now and the start of next year's free agency that would change their poor cornerback situation. So even though he's getting older, I'd be curious to see if Joe Douglas tries to woo the guy that he once pounded the table to get the Ravens to draft in the first round. Going to be a situation worth monitoring for sure. And Michael, you and I will monitor it together, and I think we'll be doing some more podcasts because... I'm hoping that you'll come back when the Ravens are playing the Jets late in the season. And if you'd like me to come on, I'm more than happy to talk some Jets with you on your podcast, which I want you to talk about because you've got a big guest coming on. I really appreciate you coming on. Go ahead and read Michael's work over at Russell Street Report and listen to his podcast where he's going to have a huge guest coming up. So, Michael, why don't you go ahead and talk about that and anything that you've got written up right now at Russell Street Report that you think people should take a look at.
1: Ah! I haven't really written much of else to report. Like it's a dead season, so I have like a. Uh, I mean, I got my tr- post draft results up there, um, and then obviously I my way too early fifty three man uh, roster prediction. Uh, but you know, I'm going to write some other stuff. I'm going to write about one of my favorite players that I think is underrated, not being given a shot on the Ravens. Uh, Chris Moore, uh, he's a fourth year wide receiver, um, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna write about some other stuff, uh, but. Also on Neutral Zone Infraction, which is my podcast, you can find it at uh, at nzi podcast on Twitter. Uh, I had a little interaction in the DMs. It went down in the DMs um, with second-year tight end Hayden Hurst, uh, who did not have a great season last year due to injury. Um, he's going to come back bigger and better this year. And uh, Hayden wants to come on my podcast, so we're going to have. The ginger Thor on there. Hopefully next week, uh, I'm just waiting on him to respond uh, and let me know when he's available. So Hayden Hurst will be on there. I, I'm trying to get uh, a few more guys on there, you know, before training camp starts, or, or maybe after training camp, before preseason stuff like that. So, um, you know, we and on NCI podcast, we don't just focus on the Ravens, especially in season. We talk a lot about other teams and such. So uh, the, the Jets definitely made my hate list a few times last season.
0: Well, hopefully they change that this year. I think with Sam Darnold as a second-year quarterback – And with new additions, like the aforementioned Mr. C.J. Mosley, hopefully the Jets will at least be better than they were last year, which is admittedly a low bar. Michael, thanks so much for coming on again. Really appreciate it. Go ahead and read his work over at Russell Street Report when he has that stuff up. He's got some things cooking, like you heard him say. A little bit of a downtime now, but he's working on some ideas. The podcast with Aiden Hurst is something that's certainly going to be worth listening to, so go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and be the first to listen to that. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts you know where to go that's turn on the jets digital and turn on